This podcast is part of the 76ers Podcast Network. Search 76ers Podcast wherever you get your pods. Hi, everyone. It's Tom McGinnis, and welcome to another weekly installment of my new podcast. This is a chat with a longtime friend of the program, Ed Pinckney of Villanova fame. Eddie grew up in the Bronx in New York City. He was a high school All-American player at Adlai Stevenson High School. Then, in 1981, along with other star recruits Gary McLean and Dwayne McLean, Pinckney chose to play for Raleigh Massimino at Villanova University. Here in Philadelphia, and really nationally, he's remembered for his role in one of the greatest upsets in college basketball history. He was the most outstanding player in the 1985 NCAA tournament. Pinckney and the Villanova Wildcats knocked off Patrick Ewing and Georgetown to win the tournament championship. Pinckney's pro career has taken him far and wide across the country and the NBA, playing, coaching, and now scouting for 11 different franchises. Here's this week's edition of Tom's Talks with number 54, Eddie Pinckney. All right, welcome to another edition of Tom's Talk, and we have a longtime friend of the program. If this was SNL or a late night talk show, we'd say, Eddie, this is the 18th time you've been on the show, so we really appreciate it. So, Ed, thank you. And now you're working with the Houston Rockets as a scout, and as we visit, you're going through the process of interviewing college players over Zoom, and that's got to be a whole different process than what it would have been in years past, where maybe in Chicago you'd meet at the pre-draft camp or bring a guy in for a workout and talk with him afterward. How has that changed, and, and what's that process like? No, it's, I mean, it's been a scramble of sorts for everyone, um, you know, just trying to get in front of the players in any way that you can, just so you can get a feel for them um, through this particular draft process. Uh, you know, I, I know that in the past, uh, what's the norm is that you, you kind of see these guys a number of different times. Uh, the initial college watch when you actually go to their campus or another campus and you see them, then you get a chance to see them in Chicago for the pre-draft camp. And that's a whole nother process that you get an opportunity to, to spend some time with them. And then if you like them enough, you typically bring them to your facility and then you get another workout in, in conversation with them. But, uh, you know, many of the agents are limiting the amount of time that you can spend. Um, the league is also mandating the amount of time that you can spend on these, uh, you know, these video interviews. So um, you've got to try to deep dive in as much as you can with your questioning uh, when you have these guys um, and you spend the time with them on, on these Zoom chats. And that's been an interesting process because the questioning's got to be tailor, tailor-made to, um, to really deep dive into, you know, their thoughts and how they feel about themselves. Are some of the questions like what a typical interview in any profession would be like, tell me a time where you've failed, or are they more like John Gruden's quarterback camps with, you know, what happened here? Tell me that. Or, and I know some of the questions are like, all right, you know, these are 19, 20-year-old men sometimes. Like, who's coming to town with you if, you if you come? Like, give us a general feel for what some of the, the question, the line of questioning is. No, you know, I think it's a mixture 
um, because of the makeup of your scouting staff and, of course, your general manager, you all try to come to an agreement on what the questioning will be like and, you know, some things that are really important to you so you can, you know, come to a decision on whether or not you like the player. But, uh, you know, we, we here in Houston just tend to err on the side about who's close to you in your decision-making process. I think that's really important um, for the guy, for us, for our staff, um, you know, just to get a feel for, you know, how you think, you know, how you would react uh, in an NBA environment. And that's what we tend to focus on a lot uh, when, we, when we do these interviews. So um, there, there is some general questioning, but, um, you know, there also is some questioning to the athlete about how they, how they actually see themselves in an NBA environment. Your most recent coaching stops were Minnesota, you had that year in Denver and Chicago, but I want to go back in a long time with Jay Wright as well. I want to go back though to your playing career. And again, we're going to get into the national championship game, which everybody here in the Philadelphia area and nationally remembers the big upset in 1985 in Lexington, Kentucky over Georgetown and one of the great uh, sports upsets in, in the history of, of the game and, and sports in general. But you started right after that in 1985. You got selected in the first round by the Phoenix Suns. John McLeod was the coach. Walter Davis was still on the team, kind of winding down his career. What was that like? You, you still, you always shoot like over 50% during your career. What was that like when you first started out for those couple of years in Phoenix? No, it was, you know, when I go back to my, my time uh, with the Phoenix Suns, it was, a, it was a huge learning experience for me. At the time, the team wasn't very good, and they were sort of trying to fight their way out of mediocrity. Um, of course, you know, at that time, the Lakers ruled the roost. I mean, they were, <laughs> they were the best team by far in the West. And uh, you mentioned Larry Nance and Walter Davis. Those two guys were the leaders, and John McLeod, was, you know, I'm actually glad that I got drafted by Phoenix because uh, he was a great teacher by nature. And uh, many of the lessons I learned in the NBA and what helped me sustain my career um, for as long as I did, many of those lessons were learned by John McLeod when I first get, came into the NBA because he was constantly trying to teach you about how to live a professional life as a professional athlete. I mean, many of the times you get athletes that come in and they certainly enjoy what the life of an NBA, uh, you know, paycheck provides, but you don't really learn how to work. And he made sure that every player that came in onto that team knew you're going to work, you're going to, you know, you're going to have a daily plan and a workout regimen and, and you've got to complete it. You know, it's not going to be about, you know, doing other things. And, you know, I got a great lesson learned from, from being under that, under that uh, rule early on. So that was two years in Phoenix and Coach McLeod got let go in your second year and Dick Van Arsdale came in, but eventually you get traded to Sacramento and I guess people forget, but Bill Russell was the head coach of the Kings. What was that like to play under Bill Russell? Well, it's, it's interesting because in this, you know, this coronavirus uh, world, I mean, Willis Reed was Bill Russell's assistant at that time. And, I, you know, I, 
like I'm obviously everyone's seen the last dance and the Jordan thing, but you know, the Knicks are, are putting out their own, uh, you know, information about their championship years. And, and there are these specials on Willis Reed that are amazing. But anyway, the, you know, those two were my coaches, um, you know, when I went to Sacramento and, you know, both championship level players and, you know, they had a, they had a preparation mentality that they always tried to come in with. I mean, they were constantly talking about how to prepare as a player, how to prepare before the game, how to get ready for the next game after the game. They, they were all about that. And there's, there's, there's this story I always tell about Bill Russell because he was a stickler for conditioning. And, uh, you know, certainly during this, this era in time, you would never do this to a player as a coach, but he put the water bottles up on the third level of the stadium. So anytime you wanted to get water, he <laughs> wanted to make sure you were working during that time on your conditioning. So you'd have to climb all the way. And he told me later, you know, I always wanted to know who needed the most water that, you know, that always told me that the guy was not mentally tough. So all of the players would go through these two and a half, three hour practices with absolutely no water at all. Everyone was afraid to climb up the steps and, 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 and go get their, a drink of water right. and stuff. You would never do anything like that now, but uh, you know, he was a stickler for conditioning and, and, and preparation. Both, both those guys were. Turns out the rules on hydration have changed a little bit. Right? <laughs> yeah, I would say. <laughs> I mean, I'm from the same era. We're a couple of years apart, but where they used to tell you to spit it out. Like, really? Because I think we're actually supposed to consume it. But uh, So then uh, you moved on to Boston. And Larry Bird was toward the end of his career. He was having issues with his back. But he still, the one year, he averaged nearly 30 points, nine rebounds, seven assists. And you play with Bird and McHale. And, and Parrish and the iconic Boston Celtics. What was that experience like? No, it was it was a great uh, experience. Uh, you know, I, I can't believe I'm, I'm rehashing the Boston Celtics with, with you, but uh, we've had many, many occasions where we've talked about sort of the, a, a championship mentality because we didn't win any championships during that time, but they certainly had that mentality um, you know, going from Sacramento to Boston. And uh, it was a great experience for me. I mean, you mentioned all the, th the, the three great pl the players that played at that time, but certainly Dennis Johnson was still on that team right. as well, too. And uh, he was a joy to play with. But, um, I, you know, it, it was the first time for me being an NBA player where I would go to practice every single day and I would have to mentally get myself ready for practice because very often early on in my career I'd go to practice and I would just sort of practice and really not get much accomplished I was just practicing well in this particular practice you were expected to get an individual move and or shot down that you were working on as the year went on and then you really had to compete. It was some of the most competitive practices that I had ever, ever been a part of. And certainly there was a lot of talking during, during the course of it. I mean, Bird never stopped talking. 
Mikhail never stopped talking. And you always had a sprinkling in of Robert Parrish trying to, trying to talk to you as well, too. So they were fun, fun times and just some of the most competitive practices that I had ever been a part of. Then you moved on to Milwaukee. And then, 95-96, you were with the Toronto Raptors. And it was the first ever, obviously, with Vancouver, bas professional basketball. Not the first ever, because I know about the Huskies. But where the NBA moved to Toronto at that time, where they first got into the league. And I don't know if you remember this. So you, had, you were with them in the preseason. Do you remember playing the Sixers? We played two games. So it was their first ever pro game. One was in Halifax, and one was in St. John's, New Brunswick. Brunswick, so it was 1995. Do, were you part of that? I, I I was I was definitely a part of that that group. And you know, at the time we were we were on tour. We played the Sixers, as you mentioned. We also played Vancouver as well too. Vancouver had a had a squad going on up there in Canada. I just remember the the crowd in Halifax, and they'd had minor league basketball up there, but it literally was like a church. They were so respectful, and I was doing the game on the radio. That was my first year. And I could not believe how quiet it was. It was like polite applause. It was it was so unique, and that's why I bring it up. It was I'll never forget that setting. And it was you know they were so respectful, and it was like wait, this is pro sports. It's okay to get after a little bit. Well, I, I'm going to tell you a funny story about that particular game because uh, that that team was comprised of a lot of guys who were left in the expansion draft right. at that time you had an expansion draft and Vancouver picked some guys and Toronto picked some guys. So on this particular squad, I, we had John Sally, right. John Sally was on that team and John Sally in that game stood up during the game and said, is anybody going to say anything? I mean, like, my point. Yeah, no, I remember that. I remember that. But Sally, kept, like, during the course of the game, he was just like, I just left Detroit. Right. And, and, and this is the kind of crowd we're going to play in in, front, in in Toronto? I mean, it was unbelievable. That's great. And then later that season, you came to the 76ers, and John Lucas was the coach. And I would imagine that's part of your association currently with the Rockets. Is, is Lucas part of that staff with Mike D'Antoni? And it was toward the end of your career. It was an 18-win season. But you come back to Philadelphia as a pro player. Your thoughts there? No, it was, it, it, you know, I came back to Philadelphia, my, my second home. And it was sort of a home. It was a homecoming for me. Um, but I came back in sort of like a mentoring role, um, which, was, which was great. I mean, I was excited about uh, uh, coming back. The top rookie on the team at the at that time was Jerry Stackhouse. Right. And, you know, I tell, you know, I tell everyone this story. We'd go to these practices and we had this coach that was always constantly in my ear on the team bus. And at practice, this coach turned out to be Tom Thibodeau. Right. So, you know, that was my introduction to Tom Thibodeau very early. After practice, Tom Thibodeau would occasionally work out this very young player who John Lucas would occasionally allow us to practice with. That player was Kobe Bryant. So that, I mean, that was my introduction 
back home to, to Philadelphia basketball. And, you know, you talk about uh, some of the relationships that you're able to create when you're in this game and, and in this business. And, you know, obviously we know about Kobe Bryant and how great he, he turned out to be. And, uh, you know, I've had a, a, a nine, 10 year coaching relationship with Tom Thibodeau and he's turned into one of the, the, you know, the top coaches of our time now. I knew you were down to earth back then because one time we were standing outside St. Joe's after practice and you go, hey, you give me a ride to Center City? <laughs> at, the t at the time, at the time, they were, they were clean, redoing my home and I was staying in a hotel. I had, you know, I was just like, hey, let me try to get a ride back downtown, man. Well, and then uh, after that, you go to Miami and you finish your playing career there and you end up working for the Heat. But obviously, Coach Riley was still the head coach of Miami. And, you know, we've talked over the years about, you know, different things and the intensity of Riley. We, we came to know then the ice bucket challenge, but he might have invented it. Tell the story about one time pregame, he was trying to show, show you guys something about, you know, drive or resiliency or whatever. And he put his head in an ice bucket and, and held his breath and all you guys were sitting around. Is that how it went? Well, yeah, it, it, uh, this happened to Detroit and it was during, um, you know, just not a, a good stretch of basketball. And he, he has this, this catalog of great speeches. I mean, he would present to the team, um, you know, before each and every game. And he, I mean, he was really good at it, but for, for some reason, um, he didn't do it this time. And, you know, he would always come in. It, 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 he would do what, what I call is make an entrance into the pregame talk. It was, you know, very well calculated. But this one uh, didn't happen. This time in Detroit, he kind of just walked in. And the bucket of ice was on the side already. The trainer had, had put it there. So he's talking to us about the, uh, you know, what we have to do in this upcoming game. And he says, in order to break this losing streak, we have got to win this game like it's got to be your last breath of air. Right. And he reaches over to the bucket and sticks his head in the bucket. And I'm looking over at Alonzo Mourning like, okay, he's going to lift his head up. At so, I mean, he, he literally he kept his head in the ice bucket. It's like you have to go after this with your last breath. And the whole team just comes into the middle of the locker room and we go out there and we win the game. Right. And it was just an unusual way to motivate a team. But, uh, you know, he's one of the best, if not the best, that I've ever been around in terms of preparing his teams to win at any cost. I mean, he was great. We'll continue my conversation with former Villanova standout and longtime NBA veteran player and coach Ed Pinckney in a moment. In this time of social distancing, NovaCare Rehabilitation is offering physical therapy from the comfort and safety of your home through their new tele-rehab program. NovaCare will virtually bring their services to you so you may heal, build strength, and get back to the things you love. Telerehab lets you easily connect with one of NovaCare's licensed therapists through web-based technology that is HIPAA compliant. For more information, visit NovaCare.com. And now back to my conversation with Ed Pinckney. Eventually, you come back to Villanova and you spend, I believe, four years with Coach Wright as an assistant 
with Villanova. What was that like, and what did you learn, uh, a, a big takeaway from Coach Jay Wright? Well, Jay Wright, uh, you know, I think everyone has this perception, obviously, of him being this GQ icon. Um, and, you know, I had known Jay Wright because he had been around um, Roly Massimino right. during his time in, in Nevada, Las Vegas, and then eventually Villanova. So, you know, during my stint in, in Miami, I really wanted to coach. And, uh, you know, I had talked to Jay about that. And he, his, one of his assistants, Joe Jones, who's currently the uh, head coach at Boston, Boston U, left. And I got the opportunity. And, um, you know, I, what I learned from Jay was essentially how to coach, how to coach players, how to coach high-level players. Um, at the time, he had a high-level uh, recruiting class. And, uh, you know, I had been a part of the NBA for a very long time. And coaching college kids is very different from coaching professional basketball players. You've got to bring in everyday intensity to the practice floor that you really don't bring in an NBA environment. And Jay is very fiery, and he's an underrated defensive coach. And I think, you know, it's obviously shown with the two championships that – Villanova's been able to win. But I really learned how to coach um, at a high level from him. I mean, he was just, you know, he the, some of the things that he would talk about on a daily basis is bringing an all-out effort and being great every single day. And, you know, if things don't work out that particular day, come with the same intensity the very next day. And that's, that's something, I, you know, I'll always bring with me that I learned from him. And speaking of always bringing, everybody remembers 1985 NCAA championship victory for Villanova over Georgetown. Nobody gave you guys credit. It was an emotional day in Lexington in that former coach Al Severance had passed away in Lexington in the hotel. Jake Nevin, of course, a longtime trainer, was battling Lou Gehrig's disease. You didn't even think you were going to make the Final Four at one point after a hard, difficult loss at Pitt in the, in the waning moments of the regular season. You beat North Carolina to get into the Final Four, and then the big day. Walk us through that and how Coach Mass got you guys ready for the win over Georgetown. No, he, he was great. I mean, um, you know, in terms of preparing a team for, for winning, I mean, he did a fantastic job. He used to tailor our practices on a daily basis to play against Georgetown. So people always ask us, how did you prepare? I mean, we didn't really have to prepare that one particular day. It was something that Massimino always talked about. I mean, if you're, if you're going to absolutely beat the best, you got to prepare to play against the best. So uh, he had instilled a great confidence in us uh, to, to, to be ready to play. And then we just got some amazing performances by guys who, uh, you know, really stepped up. I mean, you know, Gary McClain was somebody who just did a fantastic job of handling what at the time was probably the top defensive team in the entire country. Uh, you know, Harold Jensen making huge shots, uh, Harold Presley making amazing shots along with Dwayne McClain. We just had contributions from from guys all over the place. And, uh, you know, we were really together. I mean, it was a fantastic 
and a, a great team to be a part of. And uh, we all, we all give all of the credit to Roly Massimino. He was just a fantastic coach. And just in the re- – you lost to Villain or Georgetown twice in the regular season, but one of those games the second time – I was wasn't going to bring that up. But that I wasn't going to bring up the two losses. <laughs> but to, to narrowly lose to them in overtime, you knew you were pretty close, even though it's the old saying, it's hard to beat a team three times. That had a factor in, like, you know, hey, and we're the underdogs, but let's give it a shot, right? Well, no, you're, you're absolutely – Absolutely right. I mean, they just were so dominating. And uh, we felt as, uh, I mean, they call this game the perfect game. And it really had to be that way because they just, they didn't beat themselves. I mean, they were talented. They were smart. They played very physical, well coached, just coming off a championship game the year prior to the, the game in which we beat them in the finals. So they had all the elements that would lend itself to uh, to being heavily favored in that game. But again, you know, Massimino, just unbelievable, masterful in getting us ready to, ready to play in what would be the biggest games of our lives. Well, at Duke, they call the former players a brotherhood. You guys have that too. And, and Coach Wright has really done a great job of fostering uh, with the former players, the current players, the history of the program, tremendous tradition, and that's got to be special to be part of that group and have that as a home, a basketball home uh, for all of you players, correct? Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, you know, I will, uh, whenever the Dallas Mavericks come through town, um, you know, I, I, I make sure I get a chance to spend some time with uh, Jalen Brunson and talk to him about his career. Um, you know, the same with uh, the Chicago Bulls. When Ryan Archidiacono comes through, you know, I make sure that I, I, I spend a little bit of time with him and, and, and talk with him. And, I mean, there are so many – Jay has done a great job of preparing guys for the NBA. So there's sprinkling of, of Villanova guys all over uh, the NBA, and they all understand what the brotherhood means. I mean, I, you know, many of them – uh, what weren't even born when I played, but they, they still have that sense of, Hey, I'm a part of Villanova. And uh, you know, it's, it, it's great to, to be a part of that brotherhood. It's amazing that people still remember you and that team you were talking about when you got to Boston, Larry Bird said, Hey, in 1985, I've been with you in Charlotte. One time we were walking down the street and people recognize you uh, from that. It's still one of the most watched college game pro games ever basketball games ever and like you say what a neat thing to be associated with well it, it you know it speaks to the power of college basketball and how many people watch those games uh you know it's unfortunate we don't get a chance to you know get a whole new slate of uh you know college basketball fantastic games this year but uh i, I mean you know wherever i go wherever i go I mean, you know, everyone talks about that game. They don't talk about uh, certainly the Celtics or my time with the Celtics, but uh, they talk about that that last game. And certainly the Big East. The Big East at the time right. was the premier conference. And, uh, you know, Dave Gavitt was a guy who just did a fantastic job of promoting that conference and giving us all the platform to, to, to show our talents. 
Well, as much basketball as you know, and you know, as wired as you, as you are into the NBA, what do you think of you know the star two players for the Sixers in Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid? Well, all I gotta say is <laughs> the last two years that I've coached in Philadelphia haven't been the best of homecomings. Uh, you know, one has been a thirty-point just destruction <laughs> and the other uh, you know a 20 point destruction those two guys are the future of the nba um they are a combination of strength finesse high skill level and uh are on their way certainly to you know to to providing some some great years for the sixers i mean uh you know, that the great thing about them both is that they're still very young and they're still learning, um, you know, how to win at a high level. But, I, you know, I have no, no doubt in my mind that uh, in the future, uh, both are going to, you know, just set the East on their ears. I, I, you know, I think it, it's difficult coaching against them. I know that. But, uh, you know, they both have very bright futures for sure. As I mentioned before, uh, basketball has been your life, and you know so many people and keep in touch with so many people, including your New York roots. And you know and watch basketball as much as anybody I've ever met, um, a, a true hoophead, if you will. Everything from like New York basketball on the high school level to still college basketball, clearly the pros. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty neat thing. It's a compliment and it's a testament to your joy and love of the game, but that's true, isn't it? I mean, you covered the whole breadth of the sport. Well, no, it's, uh, listen, it, I mean, it's a part, uh, it's been a part of my life, basketball, forever. I mean, ever since I've been a, a small kid, it's a sport that I love. I mean, uh, you know, your current general manager, I watched play AU games. I mean, that's, you know, that's how far I go back. I mean, um, I, I just love it on all levels and, uh, you know, enjoy how the game has evolved into what it has uh, today. I mean, again, you mentioned uh, the two stars for the Sixers. Look at how versatile they are. I mean, it, it, it's, it's just great to watch how the game has evolved and how players just continue to get better and take the game to great heights. And um, I really like watching the evolution of that and watching players uh, – you know, kind of develop into what what they have in uh, what they can be in the future. It's a lot of fun to to sort of see that process. I'll let you go with this, but I want to wrap it up. So you've done pretty much everything in the game, including broadcasting during the 09-10 NBA season. You were the color analyst with Mark Zumoff on what is now NBC Sports Philadelphia, an assistant coach for many years. Now a little bit of the scouting front office angle. Do you, though, still have uh, a hankering, if you will, to be a head coach in either the college or the pro game? What What would be next? What would be the five-year plan for Ed Pinkney? Well, you know, I always leave it to this. I think um, I can I, – I just help wherever I can. I love helping young kids. I've enjoyed my pro coaching career. Uh, you know, I coached four years in college. And I think, uh, you know, as long as you're able to sort of give knowledge and, and, and help either a staff or lead a staff is, you know, I mean, when the opportunities present themselves, I'm, I, I think I'm prepared and, and ready for them. And, uh, 
you know, I've been lucky. I mean, each of us, if you're in the game long enough, you're going to wear many hats. And I've been lucky enough to do that. So I don't, I don't really close the door to anything, you know, whether it be coaching or scouting or managing, whatever, as long as it's in the game of basketball, I'll, I'll be fine. But I got to leave you with this because I, I see what you're wearing. And I'm talking to Zoom Off. Zoom Off doesn't hook me up. You got to get your guy, Chris Heck, to give me some swag. I mean, I, I need some Sixer swag, man. That's great. You got it. I owe uh, it for sure. I, 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 it, listen, if not the shirt, I'd love to have a hat, <laughs> if a golfing hat, when I go to Aronimic. That would be nice. That would be great. I can lock the Sixer gear. <laughs> you got it, Ed. Well, thank you so much. We so much appreciate your time. Nice talking to you, man. Thanks for listening to Tom's Talks with me, Tom McGinnis, on the 76ers Podcast Network. Check for new episodes every weekend.